have the scripture reading for today. It is John 5, 16 through 20 and verse 30. And it goes like this. So the Jewish leaders began harassing Jesus for breaking the Sabbath rules. But Jesus replied, my father is always working and so am I. So the Jewish leaders tried all the harder to find a way to kill him. For he not only broke the Sabbath, he called God his father, thereby making himself equal with God. So Jesus explains, I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He, he does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him everything he is doing. In fact, the father will show him how to do even greater works than healing this man. Then you will truly be astonished. I can do nothing on my own. I judge as God tells me. Therefore, my judgment is just because I carry out the will of the one who sent me, not my own will. We used to do that. So, all right. So today we're looking back into our series on prayer or, or communion with God. And, and two weeks ago, we did part one of this message. Today is part two of practicing the presence of God, where we're looking at God's calling upon us to dwell with him, not just in the morning, but to live in that place of dwelling with him. And to, to, to live out of this place of, of communion with God as being a way of life and as the place that we dwell with Him, abiding and remaining in Him. And today we're going to continue in that message of, of looking at what this was like for Jesus when He was here on earth and how He depended upon God and walked with Him and abided in the Father when He was here. And so uh, I want to start by acknowledging in this process that there's one of the greatest hindrances to abiding in God and experiencing a life with Him is something that that is a very big deal for us today, and something that we take great pride in as a society, something that our culture lifts up as one of our greatest virtues that can actually be one of the greatest hindrances of experiencing a life with God, and that is independence. Um, America is founded on independence. It's awesome. We have our Declaration of Independence. It's, it's woven into every corner of the fabric of our society and our culture, and it's one of our highest values and priorities as a nation. It's central to our DNA as Americans is that we are independent people. And it's that independence that got me in so much conflict in 25 years as a missionary overseas, as shockingly not every country holds the same value of independence as we do when I lived across Asia and Africa. Um, we, we value independence at every corner. We want our kids to be independent. In fact, we want them to leave home as soon as they're independent and, and move off on their own. One of the highest values or things you can say of encouragements about someone is they're a self-made man or woman. They didn't need anybody. They pulled themselves up by their own bootstraps. They, they didn't need any help. They were self-sufficient in those ways. And, and we crave independence. We, we crave the ability to do things our way and for things to be done our way by others. And in the last few years, our, our desire has been insanely catered to by technology in a way never seen before in history. Starting with the iPhone a decade ago that has now culminated in us being able to get whatever we want, when we want it, how we want it, catered just to our particular taste and our preferences in that moment. It can be from anything, from Netflix binging the exact category. It was like thousands of categories where the AI adjusted exactly to the kind of show we would want to watch in that moment the way we want to watch it to social media feeds being curated, to news being curated, to the, the music we listen to. Remember back in the day, for those that are not Gen Z, when you used to put a cassette in the, in the player or put a CD in and have to listen to like every single song, even the lame ones, and even the ones you didn't know the words to that didn't play on the radio. And now people can't conceive of an idea of listening to an album, right? It's just you pick the song you want in that moment at that time. 
Everything's catered to us. Even pornography is catered to every particular taste. And since COVID, now the same thing is happening to spiritual lives as well. Now you can cater the exact kind of preacher, the exact length, the exact kind of music, and you can put together whatever kind of spiritual input experience you want, exactly tailored when you want it, how you want it, in all the ways that you like it. And, and we all have preferences, and that's not that it's a bad thing, but society's gotten to the point where we want our preferences all the time in almost every area. And sure, that's fine when you're custom ordering your coffee at Starbucks, whatever, you know, your, your grande, mocha, tall, frappe, whatever. I've never ordered coffee in my life, but um, not a fan of it, but whatever those things are you order, or, or whether you're ordering your, 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 your custom order pizza at Mod Pizza. I mean, yeah, it's great to have your customary things the way that you want it for your own life. And independence is not bad in and of itself. There's a great beauty to independence. And there's a great convenience to things being catered to our wills. But the problem is that the way of Jesus laid out in Scripture is not defined by our preferences. It's not defined by our independence. In fact, it's the complete opposite of that. The way of Jesus in Scripture is defined by our surrender to Christ, our complete dependence upon Him of yielding our preferences, our desires, our ways, our loves to make way for his more beautiful desires and ways and loves and way of doing things. In short, the way of Jesus is a life of dependence, not independence. A dependency upon Christ through his spirit increasingly in every area of our lives. Our desire to do our own things, in fact, is the oldest sin in the Bible, It was independence that caused Adam to determine that he would rather decide for himself what was right and wrong and eat from the tree of of the knowledge of good and evil. It was his desire that he did not truly want to submit to God's ways, that God knew what was good and evil, what was right and best. He wanted to control it for himself. He wanted to be in charge. And so he fell back in the garden. And we've been committing the same sin over and over and over again ever since as a people. Yet Jesus, who was equal with God, when he came to earth, he lived a life completely dependent upon his Father. He lived completely submitted to his Father. This was Jesus' way of life. And he says that he's demonstrating the life that he intends for humanity to live, that we are to follow his way of life. See, Jesus is the most dependent human being to ever live on the face of this earth. In fact, the most clear example of this was our reading this morning. And in that story we read this morning, or that um, was read for us, that the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, were trying to kill Jesus. They thought that they had caught him, that they had trapped him, and because he had violated Jewish law, and he was doing work on a Sabbath. And in this case, it was healing someone who had been lame for 38 years, who was at the pool of Bethesda. And as Jesus healed him, the man began walking. And, and then when he began to defend himself to the Pharisees, and said that, he, that God was his father, the Pharisees just go ballistic in that moment. And they literally try to murder him. They believe he is worthy of death. And this is Jesus' response. He tells them, verse 19 of chapter 5. So Jesus explained, I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son also does. So Jesus' explanation is that every single thing that I do, I do because I see what the father is doing. Whatever he does, that's what I do. 
My life, Jesus says, is completely dependent upon the Father. So this is what constantly marks the life of Jesus, a life of connection or union with his Father, a witness with him, of, of being compelled to follow his ways in all things, listening, direction, being guided and led by him, inviting him into each and every situation of life. Now remember, Jesus was fully God, but also fully human when he came to earth. He came just like us, Scripture tells us. That he chose while on earth not to access his divine attributes, as Paul says in Philippians 2, but to live a fully human life to demonstrate to us the life that he intended for all of humanity. If you weren't around here two years ago at Northview back in the fall of 2021, I did a series called Who Is This Man Called Jesus? where we looked at the humanity of Christ. If that's something that interests you, go back on the YouTube, the podcast, whatnot. It's there from the fall of 2021. But the point here is that Jesus shows that he is completely in tune with the Father, only doing what the Father leads him to do, to the point that he even tells Philip, his disciple, that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Check it out. John chapter 14, verse 8, he says this. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and we will be satisfied. Jesus replies, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show the Father to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. He lives his life through me. Jesus, I'm so dependent upon my Father that we are indistinguishable. You want to know what the Father is like, he says? Look at me. I'm exactly like him because I follow his ways. Everything I do is in accordance with him. Or John chapter 5, verse 30 says, I can do nothing on my own. I judge as God tells me. Therefore, my judgment is just because I carry out the will of the one who sent me, not my own will. This is Jesus. Again, saying that he does whatever he sees the Father doing. He's completely dependent upon the Father. He dwells with him, and he only follows his ways. Or a few verses later in John chapter 6, verse 38, he puts it this way. For I have come down from heaven to do what? To do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. Again, he lives a life of complete communion with his Father. Everything he does is through watching his Father, knowing his Father, and obeying him. Following his ways. This is how Jesus lived his life. With his eyes fixed upon the Father. Tuning his heart to him at all times. Praying and listening and obeying. All of it empowered by the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus says the craziest thing of all to his disciples. He says, do what I've done. Follow my example. Live as I have lived. That's what he tells the disciples. And, and everyone repeats it. Paul repeats the same command. John repeats the command. Peter repeats it. In fact, 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, the apostle John repeats it this way. He says in verse, chapter 6, he says, Whoever says he abides in Jesus ought to walk in the same way in which he or Jesus walked. That's ESV. If you put to NLT, it says, Those who say they, they live in Christ or in God should live their lives just as Jesus we are to live the way that Jesus lived. We are to follow the way of the cross, the narrow path, the way where we seek to increasingly live and love like Jesus, amen? Maybe you've heard me mention that a few times before, but this isn't just an option for those who are super Christians. It's the very definition of being a disciple. 
This is what it means to follow Jesus. It's, it's to live as he lived. In my opinion, 1 John chapter 2, verse 6 is the best definition of discipleship found anywhere in Scripture. The Apostle John says, anyone who calls themselves a follower of Jesus or a Christian must live as Jesus lived or walk as Jesus walked. But sadly today, it's so easy to lose sight of what Jesus meant by being a disciple today. And today we often lose sight of that ancient meaning. It's become something very different in, in much of modern culture and Christianity. And in fact, in the article on discipleship, you can find the Oxford Handbook of Evangelical Theology. I'm sure it's on all of your shelves. Um, Dallas Worley actually writes an article for that dictionary that's incredible, and I want to read parts of it here. He says this. It's an amazing scholar. He says, There's been no consistent general teaching or practice under the heading of discipleship among evangelicals in the mid to late 20th century. They will be recognizable as discipleship in terms of biblical teaching or the ancient church. Now, that's quite a statement for a scholar to say, saying that basically all the writings of the teaching of the last hundred years would not necessarily be recognized as discipleship by the early church. And he goes on to say, being a Christian came to be a matter of professing belief in time-honored tenets, so holding to the traditions of Christianity, with a few additional points about the nature and authority of the Bible and about eschatology, about the end-time events. That's, that's what took precedent. And he goes on to say that now, today, even to be a, to be a Christian, even a spirit-filled Christian, it doesn't require that you actually be a disciple of Jesus Christ, or that you, through the course of discipleship, take on the character of Jesus Christ or in your life as a whole. So he's saying it's, it's, it's strong words, but saying for so many, being a Christian is primarily about you know, mental assent to some ideas or truths and, and managing sin. Today, you don't actually have to look anything like Jesus by most Christian standards to be called a Christian. You just have to say you believe stuff. You have to just say these things you agree with, and you're called a Christian. You can call yourself that. You don't actually have an expectation they look anything like Jesus. And he finishes by saying this. Being a disciple has become today about soul winning and forgiveness of sins and assurance that a person will get into heaven if he or she believes the right stuff. Ironically, he says, these new minimal entry, entry requirements have produced a nominal form of Christianity, the very thing that Christians were reacting against, and Christians now who look so much like non-Christians. Those are strong words, but can anyone relate to that? Where this primary focus of discipleship is on believing the right things and avoiding sin in order to be saved. And it produces oftentimes nominal Christians and those whose lives don't actually reflect Jesus very well at all. And I get it because this was so much of my upbringing as a Christian. Learn the Bible and avoid sin and one day you'll go to heaven. I mean, that's, those were like the big elements for me. And while those things are true, they miss a massive point. You see, the message of all about accepting Jesus, so when you die, you can go to heaven. Well, that's true, but what about everything before then? What about literally life? What about when Jesus says, pray this way, my fa our fathers who art in heaven, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven now, not just then and there, but here and now. Jesus over and over promises his abundant life to us here and now, not just then and there. In fact, if you want a succinct education on kind of the history of discipleship in America, if you go to the, the, our website, the sermon notes under messages, sermon resources, I've linked that whole article for that discipleship article. You can download just six pages. You'll get an incredible education and very briefly on kind of the history of what happened in America to discipleship. But uh, so just go to messages, sermon resources, and look at the sermon notes. The link's right there for you. But in the time of Jesus, you see, the idea of a disciple was not some kind of Christian concept. This isn't a Christianese term, disciple. 
In fact, it was deeply ingrained in ancient Jewish history. And so I'm going to steal from uh, Tyler Statton here. But during the time of Jesus, disciples were people who committed their entire lives to living under a rabbi's life and teaching. That's what a disciple was. They listened to a rabbi. They, they took in their ideas, but then they followed that rabbi in the most literal sense, literally following them every step they took. They went everywhere the rabbi went. They ate what they ate. They slept where they slept. They lived how they lived. The aim was of a disciple was to take on the entire life of that rabbi. That's what discipleship meant. To embody the entirety of that person into your own life. In fact, the best Christian word English word we have today would be the word apprentice or Padawan if you're a Star Wars fan, right? We were watching Ahsoka Tana last night. So an, an apprentice is someone who's trying to learn everything from a master. And, and that does involve reading and, and, and studying, but it also involves practicing and doing. For example, if you try to learn a trade as an apprentice in plumbing, yes, you'll learn stuff, yes, you'll take tests, but most of your time is going to be spent on the job with that mentor there alongside you, showing you how to do it, changing the sewer, getting your hands dirty in the sewage, doing the work. Jesus was the first century rabbi for his disciples. He definitely sat and taught them, but even more so, he made them active participants. He sent them out with authority to do the very things that they had been watching him do. And eventually he blessed them and, and commissioned them to go and make disciples of their own. In a word, it's called discipleship. You know, the Jedi's honestly do a pretty good job of this in Star Wars, or if you watch I mean, It's actually pretty amazing when you watch the way they, for decades, follow along with their mentor, their Jedi Knight Master, and they do that. It's a, an incredible comparison to the, literally the biblical understanding of apprenticeship and discipleship. And that is what Jesus was inviting his followers to do, to become like him, just like him, to live like him, to follow his ways of, of living and being. That's what he was doing back then. And the amazing thing is, that's still the same invitation for us today. To follow the example of Jesus. To practice his way of living. To quote John, to live as Jesus lived. To walk as Jesus walked. To become like him. And that's what following Jesus is all about. That's what it means to be a Christian, not just to believe the right stuff, though obviously we must study, we need to learn, we need to memorize scripture and be devoted to forming our hearts and minds through the words of his truth. Disciples back then spent a ton of time reading the Torah. In fact, they memorized it and they listened and they studied. They were devoted to it and we need to be devoted to that as well. But to actually be an apprentice of Jesus, a true disciple of Jesus, they had to increasingly live the way he lived. And that's what we need to do as well. They had to increasingly live like him, to, to follow his way of life. In fact, no one back then would dare call themselves a disciple of a rabbi if their lives weren't looking like that rabbi. They'd be laughed at. Is it still the same today? You know, there may be some who would say, James, but what about truth and doctrine? Are you saying that doing is more important than believing? And no, it's essential to believe what's true. We must be immersed in scripture and the truth of God's word and study it must be a daily rhythm, but we, are not, but we are not actually believing true doctrine if it's not lived out in our lives. It's not truth if it's not being lived out in our lives. 
We don't actually believe it. Just like Jesus' younger brother James says in James 2.17, he says, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. You don't get much more blunt than that. In fact, the amazing Eugene Peterson, the author of the Message Translation, he puts it this way in his incredible book called The Jesus Way. Incredible title, amazing book. He says this, Here's a text, words spoken by Jesus that keep this in clear focus. He says, John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. The Jesus way, he says, wedded to the Jesus, the Jesus truth brings about the Jesus life. He says, we can't proclaim the Jesus truth, but then do it in any old way that we like. Nor can we follow the Jesus way without speaking the Jesus truth. And here's the kicker. Listen to this. But Je- Now, this is one of the most recognized, brilliant pastors of the last century. He says this, but Jesus as the truth gets far more attention than Jesus as the way. Jesus as the way is the most frequently evaded metaphor among the Christians with whom I have worked for 50 years as a North American pastor. In the text that Jesus sets before us so clearly and definitively, the way comes first. Right? Jesus is the way the truth, and the life. And we experience his life as we walk out his truth by the power of the Spirit. As we follow the way of Jesus, as we live like he lived, as we learn like he learned, as we love like he loved, loved, as as we walk in increasing dependence upon the Spirit, just like Jesus did. And the struggle of Christians to to turn this truth into a way of life is why study after study after study shows that non-Christians can't really see that much of a difference between Christians and non-Christians. Because we really struggle, as Eugene Peterson says, to live out the way. We like the truth stuff. We tend to avoid the way stuff. In fact, a few years ago, Barna did a survey of non-Christians. You can find it in David Kinman's book called Unchristian in which they did a survey of non-Christians in America across the nation, and in that, 84% of non-Christians said they personally knew a Christian. However, only 15% said they could see a lifestyle difference that was, quote, different in a good way of those Christians. There's another really uncomfortable study that I almost don't want to share, but I'm going to. Um, Please don't be offended by this. It's not my words, not my study. Um, Done by Barna, and this one he called Christians more like Jesus or Pharisees. You can Google it and find it. But in this, this study, they looked at a bunch of attitudes and actions that would be true of Jesus during his ministry on earth. Then they did the same thing for the Pharisees' attitudes and actions. And then they asked thousands of Christians across the country to answer levels of agreement with these statements. So in doing so, it's a bit scary because when they put the answers onto this quadrant up here, and by far and away, most Christians' answers fell into the category in the bottom left there, right? Yeah, bottom left of being the attitudes and the actions of the Pharisees. By far and away, they resonated with those statements about the attitudes and actions. In fact, over 72% are below that line saying the actions of over 72% of Christians fit into that category of the actions of Pharisees instead over the actions of Jesus. And in this, what you see in this is that only 14% of that category in that upper quadrant on the upper right corner of actions and attitudes that actually identified with the ways of Jesus. Mean that Christians self-identified that statements that would show that their actions and attitudes are far more in alignment with Pharisees than they are actually with that of Jesus. And here's the not shockingly part of this. That's literally the, almost the exact same number of non-Christians who could say they saw a difference in the life of Christians. That's painful. Does that resonate with any of us? Just 14 
out of 100 Christians nationwide self-identified with the actions and attitudes of Jesus or were identified by non-Christians with the attitudes and actions of Jesus. If that's real, and pretty much every study I've looked at confirms it again and again in different ways, it means the vast majority of Christians aren't actually following Jesus' way of life, as Eugene Peterson said. And by that, I mean all the ones you know, out, out there, not in here. Um, we're different. All of us are in that small 14%, right? Every one of us um, here at Northview. All of us are doing great. Um, wait, what did I say last week about self-deception? Um, but, uh, but I get it, though, because for most of my life, that was my understanding. Even as a missionary, all I cared about was knowing the truth and seeing people go to heaven. That's all that mattered to me. The rest of it just would take up time and energy and effort. My focus went into those things. Somehow I missed out on like 98% of what Jesus said. And that's where all my focus went. About experiencing, I missed everything about experiencing his life and becoming like him. And maybe some of you experienced the same. But okay, some of you may be asking, I thought this was a sermon on prayer and practicing the presence of God. Um, yes, not just a, ser- a sermon on, you know, where are we struggling as Christians, but that was just like my 20-minute opening um, for what I want to say next. And that's that we're called to dwell with Jesus. We've been talking about this the last number of weeks, so to what God wants to dwell with us, we are called to dwell with him. In fact, the language that Paul uses again and again is that we are in Christ. And when Paul says that we are in Christ, remember Ephesians over and over and over again, he's not making a theological statement of some high idea. What he's saying is we actually dwell in Christ. This is what Jesus says over and over and over again. Because of the Holy Spirit's empowering presence, we now dwell in Christ. Colossians 3 puts it this way in verse 3. It says, your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, and it goes on, but... He's saying we are now in Christ. He's in our life now, or he is our life now. That's the emphasis. Now, already, we are in Christ. We live in Christ. Christ is our life through the power of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we can increasingly depend upon him just like Jesus did. We get to live out this withness, this with God or abiding in God life increasingly each day. Dr. Gary Moon puts it this way. This is probably, honestly, one of my very favorite books to give people to read. Um, 31 Days of Readings called The Apprenticeship with Jesus, Learning to Live Like the Master with a 30-Day Experience. I I cannot recommend this book enough. You can pick it up used online for like five bucks or new for like 12. Uh, Incredible book with daily applications of practice. But I'm gonna read a couple quotes from this. Dr. Moon says this. He says, salvation for the early church was so much more than forgiveness of sins. It was also, and primarily, the journey toward union with God. Against this backdrop, Jesus' number one teaching theme, the life in the kingdom, and Paul's number one theme, being in Christ, are two sides of the same coin. Life in the kingdom, he says, is participation in an interactive friendship with Jesus. This friendship, or experiential apprenticeship, I love that phrase, is the process of learning from the master and becoming as much like the master as possible through experiencing the mystery of Christ within and living a with God life. I love that. We're to be experiencing deeper and deeper withness with God. More and more of an experiential apprenticeship under Jesus, living this with God life, just like Jesus did with his father, dependent upon him in every way. 
This is what being a follower of Jesus is all about. Becoming more and more like Jesus, our rabbi, our Lord, our teacher, our savior, and walking in union with him, living a with God life. That every single area of our lives conforms more and more to his way of life, to his truth, to his life. Dr. Moon goes on to say, while it's common, he says, for Christians to be exhorted to take Christ into the workplace or bring Christ into the home, this point is to the deadly assumption that Christians normally leave Christ at church. Let's change that, he says. Of course, say amen. The way of Jesus is that we increasingly live in the reality of Christ, of his presence, not go in and out. That increasingly our actions and our thoughts and our will conform to his as we actively dwell with him, consciously dwell. That we become increasingly dependent upon him through his spirit as a way of life. We are to live in Christ, increasingly aware and in tune to his presence. To live with our souls like plugged into his divine love as a default through his spirit, not just plugging and unplugging as we go to church or have a quiet time, but dwelling plugged into his life empowering us to love the way that Christ loved us. One last quote from Dr. Mooney says this, I don't believe the transforming power of Christ is present with us now because Jesus once said in the past, love your neighbor as yourself. But because, hear this, the living Christ can love my neighbor through me by being in me right now. Do you get that? I don't love my neighbor because Jesus said this a long time ago. I love my neighbor because Christ is alive in me right here, right now, loving others through me in this moment, real and present and alive. He says the difference here can be as vast as the chasm that separates reading a prayer about God from experiencing prayer with God. And that's what I'm talking about. Christ in me, the the hope of glory that we are in Christ as we walk in greater witness with him, as we're attuned to his presence, inviting him to invade our thoughts and our actions and to direct our steps. We experience him moving through us. We become more like him. We, We love more like him. You know, as you looked at two weeks ago in John 15, in, in that, the, the passage on abiding with him, where it says that, that as we abide with him, as we remain in him, as we live in him, Jesus says, those who remain in me, in John 15, 5, and I in them, they will produce much fruit. The fruit comes from the union with Christ as we become more like him. The fruit is produced through our lives. And how do we become like him? By being with him, abiding in him through prayer and continue to tune our hearts to him, through reading his word and memory times and solitude and prayer and, and, and fasting and, and spending time with others. Life. It isn't just about saying a quick prayer to God 20 or even 50 or 100 times a day or directing my thoughts to him whatever I, I, I just think about and chatting with him whatever I'm doing because that can be one-way communication when we do that. What we're talking about here is a dependency upon God, inviting him to live his life through us, throughout our days, for his will, his heart, his love, his desires to become ours. And this is so much more than just chatting to God in the day. Now, I want to share how I practice this, and this is just my own way. You don't have to do what I do, but something I've learned from a dear mentor of mine that I've been practicing for years and been done countless times through millennia of history. But 
There's so many ways to increasingly conform our lives to Christ and cultivate this with God life. But, and, and with God, again, that just comes from the word abide in him. But this is what I've been doing for the last 12 years, and I want to share it. You can take it or leave it. But one of my favorite prayers comes from what we just said of Jesus, simply Jesus, live your life through me. Right? And I, I pray that all the time. But my most common form of prayer, and this is what it looks like for me, is I pray this more than any other prayer. I've prayed this tens of thousands of times over the last 12 years. Is simply, Holy Spirit, what are you doing right now? It may sound like a weird thing to pray, but that's the prayer I pray all the time. Countless times a day, I'm praying that all the time. And what I mean when with your eyes, I want to be in tune with you. What are you doing in the people around me, maybe in my life, in my kid's life, and whatever, it's just me and you on a walk. What are you up to right now in my life? I want to tune my eyes to you and to what you are up to right now. Holy Spirit, what are you doing right now? Live your life through me, basically is what it's saying regardless of my circumstances, no matter whether I'm alone or I'm eating lunch, whether I'm doing a counseling session, whether I'm playing with the kids or driving to work or, or prepping a sermon or having a date with my wife, as often as I can, I pray, Holy Spirit, what are you doing? And it's just tuning my eyes to him. My old mentor said it's kind of like linking up with Jesus, just, just kind of linking arm in arm with him and saying, hey, we're in this together. What are you up to? Let's go. I don't want to follow my way. I want to follow yours. And anytime I pray that prayer, whatever mundane activity I'm involved in, no matter how normal, becomes holy in that moment. No matter who I'm talking to, no matter how boring or annoying they are, how frustrating they are, right? It becomes a holy moment of partnering with God as I attune to him and say, what are you doing to this person's life right now? Help me. I invite you, help me, Lord, to love them with your love. Live your life through me into their life. Bless them through me. May I be able to hear with your ears. May I be able to be your ears, your eyes, your feet, your hands in this moment, Lord Jesus. I want in me, Lord Jesus. If I'm watching something that's inappropriate and I pray that prayer, I usually there's conviction of like, Lord, would you be watching this right now? Probably not. Okay, let's turn it off. If I have anger rising in my heart towards my wife or, or exasperated with my kids or something, or maybe I'm freaking out about finances, and I pray that prayer instantly, the Spirit opens up my heart. And it's like the fog gets cleaned off of foggy lenses that are so hard to see through of glasses, and things get a lot more clear as I see the heart of God. If I'm reading my Bible and just zoning out and it doesn't mean anything, and I pray that prayer, the Bible becomes alive usually as I go to the author of that text and ask him what he meant as he was writing it. It's desiring true discipleship. It's to be increasingly living and loving like Jesus, as Eugene Peterson said, wedding the Jesus way to the Jesus truth brings the life of Jesus. And so often it's just in the simple things. Walking past a piece of trash on the, on, on the ground, and so oftentimes things like that, it's just in that moment the Lord, like, why don't you pick that up? And I'm like, I'm in a hurry, but go do it. Go back and do it. Just simple stuff. Or I'm, maybe I'm late and I, or I'm in a hurry driving fast. And as I'm doing that, I'm, I'm driving and come intensely. And I, I'm just praying that, Lord, what are you doing right now? And, he, and it's all so often, it's just like, James, slow down. Why are you in a hurry? Why are you in a rush? I'm right here with you. You have no place to be. Just slow down. But if I pray that prayer, regardless of what happens. So I think one of the very common ones is for me coming home from a day of work and I walk in the door, I'm after endless counseling sessions, I'm exhausted, I just want to lay down, and every single time I walk in the door, my six-year-old or my eight-year-old are there right with me to meet me at the door and say, Daddy, 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 let's play Legos, let's build this, let's do that, and sometimes I'm just exhausted, I'd say, Daddy just needs to lay down, just give me a, a like, until you, uh, Daddy just needs to rest. But so often when I, now resting is great, and sometimes I need to, but so often as I pray that prayer, and I do it so frequently, my heart just moves with love towards my son. And then I just get up, I go play with them, and my heart is just filled with affection toward them. And every single time, it turns into a place of beauty. Right? Of just seeing their heart, and instead my focus is not just, how do I entertain my son, but Lord, how do I speak your words of life over my child? 
how do I get him to see the beauty of this? And how do I enjoy this, right? Most commonly for me, it's when sitting down for a conversation or a meeting or a meal or anytime with other people. And I try to increase, it doesn't happen every time, but as much as I can, anytime I'm having a conversation with somebody, just say, Holy Spirit, what are you doing right now? And that's just what I want to be in tune to what this person's saying. I want to hear the words they're saying. I want to hear what they really mean. And I want to hear what you want to say to them. So let me listen with your ears. But Jesus, live your life through me right now into this person. I know of no practice that puts me on a path of discipleship better than this. I'm sure there's some out there. I've just never found one. that allows me to increasingly grow in living and loving like Jesus, to increasingly walk as he walked, and to love as he loved, and increasingly experience his, this life with God. And You don't have to do exactly what I do. I'm just sharing my own practice, how kind of I've trained myself in this way. And that's emphasis. It's, it's training. It's not trying. It's training. It's a very long, slow effort of, of, re, of, of, of moving our heart towards him, but it's necessary because trying to act like Jesus never works. It's very short-term and leads to exhaustion. But I'm going to be honest about this. I don't look like Jesus most of the time. In fact, very much of the time. I'm a terrible failure at living this with God life. I'm telling you that as your pastor and walking in continual awareness of him, I'm horrible at it. And I've been actively practicing this for 12 years now. And if I evaluate myself in comparison to Jesus, I wouldn't be able to get out of bed in the morning because I'd be so overwhelmed with failure if I look at Jesus as my example of what this looks like. However, when I look at where I was at with this 12 years ago when I began, I am a radically different human being. Radically different human being. When I look at where I was a year ago, I am a radically different human being because of this. The fruit in my life has continued to increase, which isn't a surprise because Jesus literally promises it. He says that when we abide in him, we will bear much fruit. Galatians 5 puts it this way. It says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We don't produce it by trying, but as we abide in Christ and walk in his spirit, the spirit produces the fruit. You know, I used to give my Bible school students back in South Africa this metric when evaluating themselves each quarter, each year as they finished. And that's, I'd say, if you're not demonstrating the fruits of the Spirit more than you were last year, I mean, it, it doesn't matter to me. I don't care what your grade is. I don't care if you pass or if you fail or how much you learn. The question for me that evaluates the last year of your life or the last quarter of your life is, are the fruits of the Spirit more evident in your life now than they were before the last 90 hours of Bible study? Because if not, you've wasted your time. Because what matters is, are we becoming more like Jesus? Not how much stuff do we fit in our heads. Right? Most of us are educated way beyond our own usefulness. But are we actually becoming more like Christ? Is His Spirit more evident, the fruit of the Spirit, more evident in our life than it was a year ago? And that's a question I often ask myself as I reflect back and put with the Lord. I remember 11 years ago, I was about a year into the master's degree I was doing on spiritual formation where I learned this. And I had to write a paper on practicing the presence of God about the year mark. And it had been a new concept to me at that time. And by that point, I'd been actively trying to do it for almost a year. And in the paper, I had to write about my experience after a year of practicing the presence of God. And, and after a year of training, I put tons of effort. I had my reminders on my phone every three hours. I had all these things I did to remember, to attune myself to the Lord. And after a year, I felt like a terrible failure with daily efforts and reminders and seeking to continually invite the Holy Spirit to guide and direct my thoughts, my will, and my actions. I wrote in my paper that I said maybe I was walking in awareness and attunement to Jesus like 
1% of the waking, 1% of my waking times or parts of the day. 1%. I said, maybe. That's probably being really generous. And at first, I was just like, man, what a failure. I suck at this. But then yet, I had seen literally every single aspect of my life transformed in that year. Every single one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit were more present in my life than I'd ever experienced them previously in my entire life. And everyone around me was acknowledging it to me. They could see the difference in my anger and my patience and my self-control and my kindness and my generosity. It was just evident to everyone around me would make comments oftentimes about those things. And I was failing 99% of the time. I remember writing in the paper that, wow, if failing 99% of the time can make this much of a difference, I can't wait for a few more years when maybe I'm only failing 98% of the time. What a difference that would make in my life. And I couldn't tell you today what percentage I'm at 12 years later. I, I, don't take, I don't count that. It's a meaningless number. Some days I'm more in step with him than others. Some months I'm doing better than others. But what I do know is that I am actively arranging my life so I'm increasingly dependent upon Jesus. Increasingly throughout the day, inviting him to live his life through me. For him to open my eyes to what he's doing around me. For him to realign my heart when my anger rises, when, when lust rears its head, or, or jealousy, or fear are coming in. For him to make his word come alive as I read it, and for me to come alive to his spirit as I seek to love others. Amen? And I don't live in failure, despite failing almost all the time. But increasingly, I live in joy and wonder that I get to dwell with God, and he increasingly is living his life through me that I'm in Christ, and he's right here with me. And by his power, I'm able to love in ways that I can't do on my own. How incredible is that? So for application today, what does it look like for us to allow Jesus to live his life through us today? What does that look like for you? How frequently are we aligning our hearts to his mind, or our hearts to his heart and his mind throughout the day? Do we allow our anger to fester? Do we allow our lust to flame uncontrolled? Do we allow other people's words to determine our self-worth on a regular basis? Do we have resentment towards a spouse or somebody else in our life of unforgiveness? Do we struggle to give our, tens, our children our, our full attention without being distracted? Do we struggle with hopelessness or anxiety? Or do we find ourselves judging people too quickly and making assumptions about people and always assuming the worst in other people? You know, we all do all these kinds of things, but as we develop the practice of consistently attuning our heart to Jesus, inviting him in the midst of all circumstances, we will find his empowering presence carrying us more and more and more and producing more of his fruit. In whatever the circumstances, we can tune our hearts to him. We can just say, Jesus, empower me with your love. Or Jesus, live your life through me open my eyes to what you're doing. Jesus, help me see you in the midst of this pain and this hopelessness. I'm hurting. I don't see you in the storm. When we do that, it changes. Our circumstances don't necessarily change. The pain might still be there. The, The other things are still there, but we can see him in the midst of it. It changes everything. Do it a couple times a day to start. I talk about the other week, just at meal times to start, but then just increase from there a few more each week, each month, add a little more and a little more and a little more. 
For me, the more I practice this, the more I engage it, the more I see transformation. And remember, this is training, not trying. You can't try to run a marathon if your body isn't trained. You'll be exhausted. Training takes time. You can't just try to live in love like Jesus. Training takes time and involves failing more and more and more than succeeding. But each day we grow, each day we change, each day we look a little more like Jesus. And that is actually the definition of discipleship. Finish with this. Andrew Murray, the amazing pastor, missionary, and writer in the 1800s, just has so many incredible books. He has this one called Like Christ, obviously a good title, Becoming Like Christ. And he has a prayer basically at the end that I want to read for us as we wrap up. He says, My brother, if you have known little of this life of conscience, dependence, and simple obedience, begin today. And he's talking about living this with God life of practicing the presence of God. He says, Let Jesus be your example in this. It is his blessed will to live in you and in you to begin again what he was here on earth. He only longs for your acquiescence. He will work it in you. Offer yourself to the Father this day after the example of Jesus to do nothing of yourself but only what the Father shows you. Fix your gaze on Jesus and adore him who for your sake humbled himself and showed how blessed the dependent life can be. Amen? We want to be disciples. We want to be followers of Jesus. Not just believers in Jesus because even the demons do that, it says, but apprentices in his way. We must actively seek to realign our thoughts, our mind, our will, our emotions to his. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you showed us the way. Your life, your incarnation, was not just about securing salvation, but showing us the way of life that you intended for humanity. That's why the vast majority of the Gospels isn't about salvation. It's about your example of how you lived that we can follow your way of life. Jesus, help us to realign our lives to yours, Lord. We are pursuing our own pleasures and our own ways. We want to realign to you, Lord Jesus. So let us offer ourselves to the Father today. To quote Andrew Murray. Jesus, live your life through us.